I've mentioned before that fellow pastors are some of my favorite people. It's a joy to partner in gospel ministry with our pastors here at Edgewood and with other gospel preaching pastors here in this community. Uh, One of my favorite shepherds is Ed Hedding. Ed is the senior pastor at Pleasant View Baptist Church in Bettendorf. Ed is a man on mission with a genuine love for our community and especially for those who don't know Jesus yet. One of the ways Ed serves the Quad Cities is by teaching at Scott Community College. He does that on purpose in order to have gospel conversations with students. The class he teaches is called World Religions. And as part of that class that he's taught for like 11 years, he gives an assignment to the students to attend a worship service in the Quad Cities and even gives extra credit for students who want to dive in a little deeper by writing a paper. And so one of his students recently watched one of our worship services online. And I have his permission to share some of what she wrote. I'm not going to use her name, though I hope she comes in person sometime. And so she starts by describing some bad experiences she had when she was young at the church she attended with her family. And then she mentions that she has a desire to get close to God. Quote, it is something that deep down I really care about. I've been struggling a little to get back in touch with my faith, but I still carry it in my heart. I wonder if that describes some of you today or anyone engaging online. Something stirred when you were young and you've gotten away from it. And Well, listen to how she summarized then her experience here at Edgewood. From the start of the service, everyone that spoke or performed songs seemed very kind. They genuinely seemed happy to be there, and it made me a little more intrigued. It started off with such a positive atmosphere, and even though I wasn't physically there, I could tell that that space was warm and welcoming. They all sang so beautifully, and the music was very heartfelt. We saw that today. I feel like with them opening up, playing these beautiful songs just sets the tone for the worship, and it was so welcoming. They had all the church members rise and join them in singing. From my perspective, I've always felt like sometimes the main worship leader, so here when she says that phrase, she's referring to the preacher, uh, tend to make themselves look like they're perfect. When he was speaking, I believed everything he said. He appeared to be very honest and open, and by using his own life as an example, the things he was preaching made more sense. And listen to what she says next. Made me feel like Jesus still loves you, even if you've messed up in your past. He did this with expression and energy. It made the service so much more interesting to watch. He talked for around an hour. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) What service was she listening to? It's not an hour. Okay, 55 minutes. (laughs) 
And then she writes, I really like what they did. It made me feel welcome and almost sad. Sad because she misses attending church. And this seemed like such an upbeat and kind one. I I feel like this experience gave me a new perspective of what church can be like. And after watching this, I wouldn't mind attending church again. It just gave me a taste of the comforting and happy atmosphere, and I truly miss it. Even through a screen, I felt closer to God. One thing that I really took away from this service was that going to church can be a positive experience. Most of the experiences I've had going to church were, well, were so much less uplifting of my spirit. I want to be able to have a positive experience and feel, here it is again, closer to God. I would definitely attend this church in person. Now, while many today don't seem interested in God, And certainly we see in our culture people who have animosity toward him. It's refreshing to see others like this student being drawn to him and a desire to get closer to him. We see these different kinds of reactions in John chapter 1. Open your Bible there or use your mobile device. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you. Uh, We're continuing in our study of the prologue of the Gospel of John, the opening verses, and today we're going to be in four verses, beginning in verse 10. If you're able, would you stand and let's read this passage together. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You can be seated. God, we thank you for your word that we've just read about the word, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Holy Spirit, be our teacher now as we make observations, as we interpret, and then, Lord, as you apply it to our lives. Lord, would you have all the glory and the honor? Would you strike us with your majesty, with the mystery of the incarnation? And Lord, would you use this time to help each of us take our next step with you and perhaps for some today to come to saving faith and to become your child? Lord, we commit all this to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've called this brief series Before Bethlehem. And two weeks ago, we learned this truth. Jesus had his birth in Bethlehem, but not his beginning. Why? Well, because he has always been. Last weekend, we celebrated how God brings life into our deadness, and he brings light into our darkness. Here's where we're headed today. When you receive and believe in Christ, you become a child of God. And so let's walk through these four verses, verse by verse, and we'll draw out a point for each one of those. Number one, Jesus is not recognized 
by most. Would you observe again verse 10? It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. The majority of people simply ignored the incarnation. They ignored Emmanuel, not recognizing that he was in the world. We learned in verse 3, Jesus created the world, and yet the world just seems to just yawn at Yeshua. So when the Creator condescended and came into our world, his creation was not captivated. It says the world did not know him. The King James says it stronger, the world knew him not. That word know means to apprehend, to recognize, even to know relationally. One paraphrase renders verse 10 like this, he was in the world, the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. Now we hear God's heart in Isaiah chapter 1. Listen to his heart. Parents, you can understand the first half of this. Children have I reared, this is God speaking, and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Then he thinks of the animal kingdom. The ox, well, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey, its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. In John 12, 37, it says this about Jesus, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Sometimes I hear people say, if God just spoke to me, if God would just give me a sign, then I would believe. Uh, Maybe not. I mean, Jesus performed signs, and here we see people, they still didn't believe. I had an illustration of this happen this week. I had about an hour between appointments, and so I stopped at a McDonald's to work on this sermon. And I'm sitting in the back of the restaurant drinking my senior coffee, (laughs) and I hear music playing over the loudspeakers. And they were playing Christmas music. And it was a Christ-centered song. I don't remember exactly what the song was. I think it was Joy to the World, which we just heard our choir sing. After the song was over, you know when you're in a restaurant, you can overhear conversations even when you're not trying to? Well, I was kind of trying to. (laughs) Right after that song, that Christ-centered song was over, I heard a woman from a booth about 10 feet away make this statement. This whole Christmas thing is just bah humbug to me. (laughs) Well, you know that, don't you? That the coming of Jesus is just background noise for many people today. I mean, there's evidence for Christmas everywhere and for Jesus coming into our world. And well, that day at McDonald's, there was no joy about Jesus coming into our world from my fellow compatriots drinking our senior coffees. You, you do know there's always been a great divide among people. When Jesus came the first time, Herod hated him, tried to exterminate him. 
when I was thinking of that a month and a half ago, I recorded a podcast. I called it From Haman to Hamas. And you can just see the hatred, the animosity. You can trace it from Haman in the book of Esther to Herod to Hitler and now to Hamas. Such hatred. And at the same time, the scribes who studied the Torah, who knew the Old Testament, who knew the prophecies about Messiah being born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, who knew that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah, and they ignored it. There was no room for him when he came. Well, only the shepherds and the wise men the poor, the foreigners, the meek, the marginalized, well, they're the ones that welcomed him to earth. Not much has changed as we see the birth of Jesus slipping from our cultural discourse. He came into the world he created, and the world did not know him. In 1932, a man named Robert McGimsey attended a Christmas Eve service in New York City. And after he was done at the Christmas Eve service, he headed to his one-room apartment. And on his way home from this Christmas service, he was walking down a street and he heard all these different places partying. There were people who had had so much to drink, they were passed out on the sidewalk. And so he's stepping over people, he's walking around other people, he's hearing all this celebration and all this partying going on, and they didn't seem to have a clue that it was Christmas Eve, and if they did, they didn't seem to care. And as he made his way home, he thought to himself, what a strange way to celebrate the birth of the most perfect person who ever lived on this earth. People are missing the whole significance of his life. So when he arrived home, he found the back of an envelope and he sat down and he wrote out these words. And these are his original words. Perhaps you'll recognize them. Sweet little Jesus boy, they made you to be born in a manger. Sweet little holy child didn't know who you was. Didn't know you'd come to save us, Lord, to take our sins away. Our eyes was blind. We couldn't see. We didn't know who you was. Well, let's personalize this. What, what about you? Are you all up in office parties and cookies and all the Christmas stuff that goes on? But frankly, you've not given much thought to Jesus I mean, don't let this Christmas pass by without recognizing why Jesus came. Secondly, Jesus is rejected by his own. So if verse 10 is sad, put your eyes on verse 11. This verse is outright sorrowful. He came to his own and his own people. They didn't receive him. And so not only did the planet not apprehend the light, but also God's people did not receive him as a person. That word came, oh, it's beautiful. It captures the essence of Christmas. Jesus came to his own people, but they rejected him and even killed him. Again, the King James is quite strong. His own 
received him not. Well, what does that phrase mean, his own people? Well, in short, God's people are the Jewish people. Well, there's many verses we could choose, but let's ponder Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That word receive is full of meaning. It means to receive with favor. It was used of welcoming someone into your home. It also has the idea of accepting and taking with. That same word was used in Matthew 17, 1 at the Mount of Transfiguration where we read after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. While many are not interested in Jesus, others are incensed by him and still others reject him because they find him, find him to be repulsive, repugnant even. Well, that's prophesied in Isaiah 53. Check this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Consider this last phrase, and is one from whom men hide their faces. So Jesus came to the people who should have known him best, but they wanted nothing to do with him. That idiom, came to his own, means to come home. So Jesus, in one sense, came home to his own people, home to those who lived in the land promised by God, and they wouldn't take him in. Frankly, many don't believe in God. Never thought of this because, well, they don't want him telling them what to do. That's why some people don't believe today. Now, some seem to be sincerely seeking and searching, but the Bible says most are trying to get rid of him. Later, Jesus told a parable against his own people, Matthew 21. He concluded it pointedly. But when the tenants saw the son, he's referring to himself, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. On Tuesday night, Beth and I were watching the news on TV. Do you know there's still news on TV? Most of the news I get elsewhere, but we, we were both home together, and so we sat down and watched the news, and perhaps you saw this story. We were saddened to hear how a manger scene was removed from in front of the fire station in Toledo, Iowa. This nativity scene had been set up there in front of the fire station during the holiday season for the past 15 years. Well, the town just moved it. Why? Well, because one person who doesn't even live in that town complained to the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which threatened a lawsuit. And so they moved it to private property. Oh, but that story didn't end there. So that was Tuesday night news. On Thursday, the scene was moved back after the city agreed to add Santa Claus 
to the scene. And I thought, you know, what really would have been good if they would have had Santa on his knees before Jesus, giving gifts to him. During that same newscast on Tuesday, there was another story, perhaps you've seen it, reported on the grotesque satanic display set up by the satanic temple in the Iowa State Capitol. By the way, just to bring this a little closer to home, this is the same group that put up a display in the Illinois State Capitol last year, the same group that started a satanic club at Jane Addams Elementary School in Moline, located just blocks from where we live. Uh, This story hasn't ended either, and well, I'll let you dig into what's happened to that statue. Now, we shouldn't be surprised, friends, that Jesus is still rejected today. Number three, he's received by some. So the world did not recognize him. His own people rejected him. But there have always been people who have received him. Listen to verse 12 and notice the word but. It's used as a contrast. In contrast to what we just read, look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that word all reminds us that Jesus came for everyone, not just for the Jewish people. Listen, let me apply it to your world because some of you are like, man, you don't know what I've done. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've been doing it. You can still receive Jesus. No one is too far away. No one is too far gone. I think of the news last month that A.N. Hersey Alley, you're like, who's that? Well, she was a former Muslim, and then she left Islam and became an atheist, has now declared that she has just converted to Christianity. It was just in the news. Friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Salvation is for all. Now, this word believe is quite rich. Many years ago, Bible translators were trying to figure out how to translate the word believe. They were in the New Hebrides Islands, and they were struggling to find the word, and that's a challenge for Bible translators. They go into a culture, they learn the language, there's no Bible in that culture, and they're trying to communicate, honor the scriptures in their original language. How do we communicate this truth to a people who don't understand, who don't have a background, and they're trying to learn the language as well? Well, they came upon a solution accidentally when they were out hunting with a tribesman. So after bagging a large deer, and they put it on a pole and carried it along a steep mountain path, they returned home and they plopped into some porch chairs. And then they said this, the natives said this in their own language, my, it's good to stretch out and rest. 
And the Bible translator's like, aha, that's the concept. That's what the word believe means. And so he immediately wrote it down, and that ended up in the translation of John 3.16 in their language. It reads like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever stretches himself out on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, when we lean on the Lord, he gives us life. So stretch out on the Savior and find satisfaction for your soul. You know, salvation is more than just saying yes to Jesus. No, salvation means we yield ourselves fully to him by leaning on him totally. Well, let me come back to this chair. I, I could believe intellectually that this chair would hold me up. It looks solid. It's got four legs. And I say, yeah, that chair's going to work. I could even kind of be, find the chair attractive. Like, wow, that's a nice chair. I could maybe even feel emotional about the chair. I don't, but I could. <laughs> So I could believe it intellectually, it's going to work. I could go, yeah, I feel good about it. But listen, I don't really trust that chair until I sit in the chair. And that's how salvation is. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I believe Jesus came at Christmas. Yeah, I feel really good about that, especially this time of the year. But listen, you have to engage your will Engage your will and commit yourself unreservedly and wholeheartedly to him. You see, the word believe means to trust in, to rely on, to lean into. The idea is to fully surrender to the Savior, to give yourself up to him, to take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping. I was trying to think of another way to illustrate this. Have you ever done a trust fall? Do you know what those are? Yeah, so it would be like if there's somebody behind me and they say, hey, just close your eyes and fall backwards. I'll catch you. Well, if that were to happen, I'd have a couple questions. Like, first of all, I want to make sure I know the person. <laughs> Secondly, I want to make sure I can trust that person. If, if he's got a big smile on his face and he's like, go ahead and fall back, I'm probably not going back because he's going to do something. If it's my grandson, Dean, behind me and he's like, Pa, go ahead and fall back, I'll catch you. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Now picture Jesus saying, fall back. Fall back, you can trust me. And some of us haven't taken that step of faith. We've not fully engaged and let ourselves go. We're holding on to ourselves. And we're like, no, I want to lead my life, and I'll add a little Jesus here, a little Jesus there. But friends, it takes an act of faith. We trust Jesus will catch us as we fall into his arms. Oh, don't miss something here. You'll hear in our culture today, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Just believe, just believe. 
you should always ask, believe in what? Or believe in whom? Oh, notice, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. It's in the present tense, which which means we're called to continuously believe. In John 6, 29, Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 8, 30, many believed in him. Acts 10, 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That word name stands for the sum total of his character. It's often used synonymously with the person, with Jesus himself, with believing in him. So let's consider this phrase, he gave the right. So what does that mean? He says, well, God gave of his own goodwill by bestowing on us that which we don't deserve. The word right refers to permission, privilege, and power. Friends, settle this. Being a child of God is not something you're automatically born with. It's a right granted to you by a higher authority. And the idea is to receive and believe, and then you're given the right and the might to what? To become children of God. Born-again believers are granted full permission, privilege, and power as God's children because we've been adopted into the forever family of God. Amazingly, we are now authorized to lay claim to our inheritance as children of God. Church, that is good news. When Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, he went to a printer, and the printer was careless and allowed some sections of the Bible to fall on the floor of his shop. The printer's daughter came in, and she saw a piece of paper on the floor of the shop, and she picked it up, and she found just these words on the piece of paper, quote, God so loved the world that he gave Oh, she treasured those words because she had been told that God was a God to be feared and could only be approached through acts of penance. She repeated those words over and over. She kept opening the paper, just kept repeating them. The more she did, the more joyful she became. Her whole countenance changed. Well, her mother noticed the change in her daughter, and she said, what's going on? And the daughter handed the mom this crumpled piece of paper. The mom read it and was perplexed. He gave? Well, what did he give? And for a moment, the girl hesitated and then perceptively replied, I don't know, but if he loved us well enough to give us anything, We need not be afraid of him. Friends, when you receive and believe in Christ, you become a child of God, which leads to number four, you can be regenerated by God. Verse 13 makes it clear, salvation doesn't run automatically from one generation to another. Just because your grandma is a Christian or you got a distant uncle who used to be a pastor in your family, it doesn't matter, it doesn't work that way. 
does not run from generation to generation who were born, Jesus said, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, you will never go to heaven in a crowd. So let's break that down. We're not saved by our heritage. We're not saved based on who we're naturally related to. It says not of blood. Well, that would have been a shocker to Jewish people because for thousands of years, for them, it had all been about having the blood of Abraham coursing through their veins. And secondly, we're not saved by our holiness. We're not regenerated by following a list of rules, a list of regulations, nor of the will of the flesh. Making a resolution does not lead to regeneration. And thirdly, we're not saved by our hard work. We don't become Christians based upon our human effort. It says, nor of the will of man. Salvation is a gift to be received. It's not a reward achieved by individual effort, or even through the influence of another. Paul Washer says it like this, so strong in just one sentence. The only thing I have contributed to my salvation is my sin. Now, interestingly, if you go over to John chapter 3, Jesus uses this same birth metaphor in John 1, as he has a discussion with a man, a religious man named Nicodemus, who approached him at night. Think with me about the spiritual resume that Nicodemus had. He had impressive heredity. Tradition says he belonged to a distinguished and wealthy Jerusalem family. He had this overwhelming holiness. He was a Pharisee. Not only that, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. His life was all about doing the right things, and he was an extremely hard worker. He exhibited deep scholarship, devoted his life to the study of Torah. He took an oath to work hard at keeping all of God's commands. Listen, he still had a hole in his soul. That's why he sought Jesus out. That wasn't working for him. He came at night, perhaps because he didn't want his buddies to see him having a conversation with Jesus. Jesus told him it's not about heredity. It's not about holiness. It's not about hard work. Oh, listen to these words from Jesus, John 3, verse 3. God used this verse in my life When I was 19 years old, this verse jumped off the pages of a Bible I was using, a borrowed Bible, which led to the Lord saving me by his grace for his glory. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the same word used in John 1.13. Nicodemus needed to be born again from above. Look at verse 7 of John 3. Jesus makes sure Nicodemus gets it because he's confused. He like starts taking it literally. He's like, he doesn't understand. Jesus says it in verse 7 again. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He doesn't recommend the new birth. He doesn't suggest the new birth, he says you must be born again. This is urgent language with a forceful command. We must receive and believe in order to become a child of God. 
Having our children sing last weekend uh, reminded me of a Sunday school class that performed an unforgettable Christmas pageant one year. The actors playing Mary and Joseph made their way slowly to the inn. Joseph knocked on the door. Wally, the innkeeper, okay, I know the innkeeper's not mentioned in the Bible, right? We, we went over that, but just work with me on that. The innkeeper said, who's there? Joseph softly, softly said, I'm looking for shelter for me and my wife. Wally opened the door and said, you'll have to look elsewhere because there's no room in the inn for you. Well, Joseph tried another approach, but, but you don't understand We've traveled so far, and my, my wife is great with child, and she needs to rest. Now, at that point, Wally just stood there and stared intently at Mary. And during this long pause, the audience started getting restless, even feeling embarrassed for Wally. You can hear a prompter off stage try to give him words as, as the prompter whispered loudly, Wally, say, no, be gone. No, be gone. Finally, Joseph put his arm around Mary as, oh, so then the innkeeper said, shouted out loud, no, you need to be gone. The innkeeper was supposed to shut the door and go back into the inn. But Wally didn't do that as he watched Joseph and Mary walk off. Wally's mouth dropped open and the pageant took an unexpected turn. His brow creased and his eyes began to fill with tears as he said these words. Joseph, wait a minute. Come back. <laughs> Bring Mary with you. A smile beamed across Wally's face as he blurted out, you can have my room. <laughs> And the actors playing Mary and Joseph didn't know what to do. And the audience became anxious again. This boy had ruined the whole storyline. I mean, how can you have Christmas without a stable? And so the quick-thinking Joseph saved the entire program when he replied, Oh, no, the barn would be just fine. <laughs> Actually, the Savior is still looking for room today. He's still looking for open hearts, for people who will say, yes, yes, I receive and I will believe. And I wonder, will you open the door of your life today? Will you give him your heart as his home? The world did not recognize him because did not receive him because most did not recognize him. And they didn't recognize him because they were not willing to relinquish control of their lives to him. How about you? What is it that's keeping you from fully receiving Christ right now? Matt Smethurst nails it when he writes, Jesus was born once so you could be born twice. Let me circle back to a sentence written by the student at Scott Community College. Did you feel like Jesus still loves you even if you've messed up in the past? Because that's why Jesus came into our world. And will you receive the gift of salvation right now? 
whenever I read this verse, I think of a gift, a present. You see, Christmas is all about God giving the greatest gift ever. And when you think about it, there's only a couple responses to a gift. And so if I'm given a present, I can receive it. And usually if somebody gives me a gift, I open it quickly, see what's inside so I can receive it or I can reject it. I can just walk away from it. It's kind of absurd. Like, why would you walk away from a gift? Why, why would anybody don't do that? But listen, if you don't receive the gift, you've actually rejected the gift. Well, let me say it like this. If you don't receive the gift of God, you've actually rejected it and you will spend eternity in a place called hell. Well, no, let me be clear. See, most people today think only really bad people go to hell. That's certainly not me. No, let me say it like this. If you don't receive the gift, that's where you'll end up. You go, whoa. Okay, let me say it another way. If you do nothing, hell is where you'll end up. And here's why. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. We all have a separate, we've all been separated from God. And the only way to have a relationship with him is through Jesus Christ. So the good news is you don't have to go to hell and you don't have to do any work to go to heaven because it's all been done for you. Some of you were raised in the same tradition I was, so hear these words. You don't have to do penance for your sins. And some of you are on a religious deal, so you hear these words. You don't have to perform to get God's acceptance either. That's good news. You don't have to do penance, and you don't have to perform. Stephen Lawson put it like this, salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. Salvation is a gift for the guilty. And one of the things that makes a gift special is the realization that the person who gave the gift spent some time thinking about what to give you. It involved thought and action, and there's often a cost involved. Oh, let me come back to this present one more time. So imagine that this has your name on it. Leslie, let me use you as an example. We're neighbors, right? We met in the neighborhood. You're out walking your dog. and So Leslie, imagine that your name is on here, and then I'm giving this to you. What do you have to do to make this yours? Take it and thank you. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So it's got her name on it. I could say this is for you, but it's really not yours until you I take it. it. You receive it. You can, you can take it back with you there. 
That simple illustration captures a vital truth. Salvation has your name on it, but it's not applied to your life until you receive it, until you take it. And when you do, at that point, it becomes yours. And based upon what we learned here today, you become a child of God. And if you're ready to receive the gift of salvation, I'm going to encourage you right now to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it silently. If you're engaging online, you could join us wherever you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for way too long, I've kept you out of my life. I confess that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. And doing penance is draining because I've done so many things that are wrong. I can't possibly pay for all of that. And Lord, there's other times I go on the performance track and that's draining as well. And there's no joy in that because I never know if I'm doing enough. But I now recognize you and I'm not going to reject you any longer. And so by faith, I gratefully, thankfully receive your gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. So with all my heart, I believe you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for my sins, and you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe And now I receive so that I can be born again and become your child. Oh, come into my life. I yield myself completely and totally to you. You are my Lord. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth. And thank you for being my Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer And I trust that some of you did. You settled that today. Oh, would you come up and tell me after the service or tell the person you came with today? We have some materials that will help you get started in your walk with Jesus.